You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Getting my Russell Crowe on, man. What a couple of games it's been for the Jets in Toronto. Three out of four points so far with a rubber match coming Saturday night against the Leafs. Good thing the Jets have uh, no recent history of embarrassing themselves on national tv in the saturday night right anyways we'll break down the week that was for winnipeg and, and just the greatness that is connor hellebuck what a week for him we'll get to that in just a few seconds then later on in the episode just ahead of pie day i thought why not bring in a pizza expert for a chat to close out the week so Stephen in one of the co-founders of red ember that's the big-ass food truck that wins all the awards. You see it when it's nice out. As well as Red Ember Common, Wall Street Slice, Wienerpeg. He stopped by to join me. It's a great interview for all you pizza lovers out there. And Stefan, Quinn, and company, they pull off some of the best Zaws in the city. So you want to try this and check this one out, no doubt. But first, it is March. And you know what that means. That's right. The madness is just about here. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a deep, long run. And DraftKings is giving all customers a free shot at up to 100k in total prizes. All you have to do is head to the DraftKings app and make your pick. Super easy. Again, download the DraftKings app, head to their free-to-play pools page, and enter DraftKings' free $100,000 tournament seeding pool. Free-to-play pools are super easy to play. All you do is make your picks for who you think will get a ticket into March's biggest tournament. If you have the most answers correct, you win. The bank's open. Plus, don't forget about golf's fifth major this weekend taking place in Florida, the players, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs. DraftKings is, as always, safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of $100,000 in total prizes with DraftKings Tournament Seeding Pool. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at $100,000 in prizes. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. 
It's been so long, I forgot they canceled last year's March Madness tournament, so I'm jacked for it to get back underway. If Gonzaga doesn't win it this year, I'll be slightly upset and then move on with my life. Alright, let's get back to the Jets. Just a hell of a game Thursday night. And I, I guess it was a hell of a game Tuesday night too. I mean, both of those games weren't lacking in excitement. That's the one thing I think everyone can agree on with that. And a number of topics to get to after those two straight games in Toronto. But the main point I think that's come out, and it's been the same after both of those nights, maybe more so the Tuesday game because the Jets were able to come out of there with a victory. But I think the main point has been just simply this. Is this sustainable? Is what the Jets are doing out there night after night, getting outchanced, outshot, but finding a way to come out on top more often than not, is that a recipe for success long term? I do find it kind of funny that we have to ask that question because the answer is clearly no. And look, you can enjoy the wins however they come. I'm, I'm not saying... Just because the Jets get outshot constantly doesn't mean you can't have fun watching them pull out two points. But the ultimate question of, can you do this consistently? Can you go on to a playoff run and potentially win a Stanley Cup playing that kind of hockey? No, of course you can't do that. And the reason I say that is because there's never been a precedent for it. If you look back at teams that have won the Stanley Cup, I can't find one that consistently got outshot and outchanced the way the Winnipeg Jets do. There's the odd team that will make a conference final and, and even make a Stanley Cup final as well. I mean, the Dallas Stars did it last year too. I'm not saying Cinderella runs don't happen, but they don't end with hardware at the end of the run. And that's the big concern for me moving forward. I mean, there's no doubt the Jets could play as they have this season and potentially even come out of the North Division. But they're not going to, then after that, win two more playoff series playing that style of hockey. There's just no way. So what they're doing right now, no, it's not sustainable. I mean, they could play this way and, and make a playoff spot and, and probably do so pretty easily in what's shaping up to be a bit of a lackluster playoff race. Not that much intrigue as to you know whether or not the Jets are going to get into the dance. But if they want a chance at realistically winning the Stanley Cup or just making a deep playoff run on top of that, the process had to get way better. It's it's just that simple. And Toronto exposed that in the in the past two games here. I, I mean, I don't know which one was worse. I mean, the shot clock was more tilted in game one. But holy guacamole, the chances Thursday night and the amount of quality saves Connor Hellebuck had to make. I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy that Connor Hellebuck played as well as he did Thursday and still gave up four goals. I mean, you could realistically say the Leafs could have dropped an eight burger on the Jets. Could have been snowman territory. Could have been me at the second hole at, at Glendale, right? Like it was just insanity how much the Maple Leafs and, and for the most part, how easily they were able to create some of these chances. And that kind of gets to the next point here. We talked about that. And, and I, I, I don't know how much debate there is again to be had about how sustainable this strategy is for the Jets moving forward long term. But Connor Hellebuck is just simply ridiculous right now. He is at or maybe even ahead of the levels we saw when he won the Vezda Trophy last year. He's, he's going to make a case to go back to back this year. I know Vasilevsky's having an outstanding year, a couple other goalies as well. But 
again, nobody's facing the quality night in, night out that Connor Hellebuck is, and very few are still putting up the numbers that he's found a way to do. And it got it got me thinking, and maybe it was the fourth breakaway of the night for the Leafs, or another one of Willie Nylander's 800 chances. He could have led the league in scoring after last night's game if he found a way to put a couple more of those home. But we hear so much about the McKinnons, the Pasternaks, the Bergerons, the Couturiers. I mean, and there's a handful of other names out there. But we got to start talking more often that Connor Hellebuck might have the best contract in the NHL. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, he's coming off a Vesna Trophy campaign. He is looking to back that up with as good of a year this year. And he's making six mil, six-ish mil. It's not even close as far as goaltenders go who has the best deal in the NHL. But why shouldn't he be put up there with the Pasternaks and the McKinnons and some of the other players that are making nowhere near as much as they should? This is, and as great as the Shifley and Ehlers deals are, in my opinion, this is Kevin Chevalier's best work. That you're getting the prime of Connor Hellebuck's career, a couple more seasons of this, at just over six mil. It, it's not fair. And just outstanding work by Kevin Chevalier, but more so amazing what Connor Hellebuck has, has turned himself into here. And again, that game, I mean, pick your save. Which one was the best of the night? Was it the flash and the paddle out there on the Nylander deflection in the second period? Was it a number of different stops on Martyr and Matthews? I think my personal fave, though, I'm going to go with the Joe Thornton clapper to close out regulation there. I mean, how much fun was it, A, to see Joe Thornton take a slap shot, but for... Connor Hellebuck to stop the old man like that. But that was just unreal. And you could see in the second period, and Willie Nylander kind of led the charge in this, but Helly was no doubt about it getting in the Leafs' heads. Uh, there was a ton of frustration, a ton of really poor body language, and I, I kind of got the sense at that point that he might not give up another one the rest of this game. And if that's the case... Why couldn't he pull it off again on Saturday night? But eventually the dam did burst due to no fault of Connor Hellebuck's on his own. But again, just tremendous, tremendous play. Jets fans, you really should consider yourself super lucky. Not every market, not a lot of markets get to enjoy goaltending play like this night in, night out. And on top of it, the backup's been pretty damn good as well this season with Laurent Brassois. So just an absolute goaltending exhibition from 37 this past week. The other point I wanted to get to, specifically from Thursday's game, is that I thought Pierre-Luc Dubois, Nick Ehlers, and Kyle Connor had their best game as a line this season. Unfortunately, though, one bad shift led to that Toronto goal that looked like it was going to be the game winner. The Jets tied up late thanks to a Paul Stasny redirection because Paul Stasny is unreal and awesome and always makes the right play. But I, I thought that all game long, Ehlers, Dubois, Connor were just buzzing and they were easily Winnipeg's most dangerous line. If you take a look at the, the shot charts and, and some of the advanced numbers, they were basically the only ones that were close to breaking even. I, I just think we're starting to see more and more good things out of that line offensively, which is why they've been put together. And it's been really encouraging that, yes, there is some chemistry that's starting to develop there. And you're seeing tangible results on ice as well. I mean, Nick Ehlers is just having himself a hell of a, a whale of a season. And he was Winnipeg's best skater 
on the night. Connor Hellebuck was the team's best player, but he's just doing so much out there. And you know what? I, I, I saw Garrett Hole mention this on Twitter during Tuesday's game, and I kind of bristled at it a little bit because there's another player in the division that's having himself a really, really good season as well. But Garrett Hole threw out the notion that Nick Ehlers watching him play and you're getting the chance to watch the best winger in the North division right now, which was very interesting because Mitch Marner, I think is on pace for like a hundred plus points in an 82 game season. But then you see Nick Ehlers have a game like he had last night and you're like, yeah, maybe he is. (laughs) You might be right on that one, especially considering he doesn't play anywhere near as much as Mitch Marner does on a night to night basis. But it's pretty clear, we, we knew this earlier on in the season, that Nick Ehlers is having himself his breakout campaign and his best season to date so far. He is legitimately one of the best players in the NHL. I don't even think you have to do the whole North Division, you know, Canadian teams, the old Central teams as well. He's just flat out one of the best players in hockey. And, and so th- you, you saw that in spades. I mean, that shot, the shot on that goal, my God, you couldn't have placed it any better if you were six inches away throwing the puck with your bare hand and that he's just making passes left and right he's just so damn good and I guess my only gripe with Nick Ehlers it's not even something with him it's just that I wish he would play more if you look at the top 20 scores in the NHL James Van Riemsdyk is the only other one that's playing under 17 minutes a night the next closest one in the top 10 oh Jonathan Huberto is playing 17-23 but after that you have Nick Backstrom at 1836, Brad Marchand at 1856. I I get you want to play Shifley and, and some of those other guys a lot too, but there's just no reason Nick Ehlers shouldn't be cracking 20 minutes a night every single night. And and hopefully Paul Maurice finds a way to, to make that happen moving forward because as great as Mark Shifley's been, sixth in the NHL in scoring this year, I don't think anybody would question that Nick Ehlers has been this team's most impactful forward all season long. And you saw, too, those three, Dubois, Connor, Ehlers, where they've been most dangerous, too, is on the rush, on the counterattack. And that was just a ruthless two-on-one as well. A great pass by Kyle Connor to find Ehlers on that second goal there. But, I mean, when you have two speedsters like Ehlers and Connor, and then that big body in Dubois just roaring right down the middle on the rush, that's a ton of fun to watch. And it's really, really difficult to defend as well. But they do great work in the offensive zone of the cycle as well. And that's where Dubois, I think, has shown his biggest value with those two guys, giving them a little bit more space to operate and try to uh, produce in the fun zone as well. That's the positive. The negative, though, and what's going to be a question with that line, as long as they're put together, is they're not great defensively. And it was most evident on the third goal by the Maple Leafs. They make it 2-2, and then they get... a the time would look to be an absolute backbreaker to make it 3-2 and and just a complete breakdown by two of the three on that line and if you look at the play and and this is the hey as great as the acquisition for Dubois is and has been and will be he's not the greatest forward inside his own zone and we all know Cal Connor's struggles in the defensive end as a winger so let's go through this goal in real time here to kind of pinpoint what exactly and, and where it all went wrong. But Kyle Connor gets the puck down low, kind of right at the red line there after Logan Stanley has a bit of difficulty. 
And let's just be honest, he makes a real weak play with the puck. Just indecisive, passive, and just kind of, I don't know, he gives away possession for, for no real reason either. I mean, you can kind of eat it along the boards as your one of your last resorts, flip it off the glass the other way out as well. But he just kind of weakly shovels the puck for no reason. I, I guess back towards Logan Stanley, who's being pressured by the Leafs forward in that situation. This is one of the... One of the issues Connor has inside his own zone, outside of just positioning, he just makes really poor decisions with the puck on his stick, which is bizarre for somebody who's so offensively gifted, and we all see it, as, as skilled as he is. I, I don't really know why and what the reason is for that, but just time and time again, he makes the wrong play with the puck on his stick, and he does that there. Again, not really sure what he's trying to accomplish at that point, but even then with the bad turnover... The Jets are okay. They, I mean, they've got two on two below the red line. Dylan DeMello is in front of the net, you know, watching to make sure that the pass doesn't get through. And Dubois and Ehlers are both kind of right around the hash marks and the faceoff dots. So they're still in good position here. But you can see that Pierre-Luc Dubois, and this is kind of the ultimate problem and what leads to the goal, is caught puck watching. He loses his man. Mikheyev just kind of creeps into the slot area. And DeMello does an okay job. I, I mean, I guess it's not an okay job because the pass gets through, but it's a tough play for him. Uh, but Kerfoot makes a great pass through the legs of DeMello, and Dubois just can't get to Mikheyev in time, and he buries it past Connor Hellebuck there. I, I mean, again, what bothers me about plays like that is they're just totally preventable. It's not like the Tavares rush up the ice where, hey, you know what, you'll just kind of do the old tip of the cap to a number one overall pick and one of the best... I mean, maybe a future Hall of Famer as well, right? Like, when plays like that happen, you're kind of okay with it and you just move on. But it's ones like that that really, yeah, they just piss you off as a fan because a couple plays, and really simple ones at that too. If you just change that, hey, just maybe the Leafs don't find a way to take the lead and maybe the Jets get a cheesy one late and skate away with the full two points and we have a bit of an interesting race for the top of the division. Again, like we touched on, Paul Stasny, he's the man. Great deflection there, and Nick Ehlers does what Nick Ehlers does. We go to OT. Again, I love, and this is maybe my favorite thing Paul Maurice has done this season, you go with the three forwards, even up against a team like the Leafs, who have as much firepower as they do, and Morgan Riley on the back end basically getting a third forward as well. But the Jets going on the offensive, trying to be aggressive. I guess the main thing is that if you get away with a two-handed lumberjack axe chop like Paul Stasny does, and you don't get a penalty called, and you have a chance to win the game on a play that was clearly two minutes, you take it, and you don't feel too upset when the puck goes the other way of the Leafs score. I mean, it was clearly a penalty. I, I was blown away that the refs missed that one. Good fortune for the Jets there that ultimately kind of bit them in the butt. And that's just a hell of a move by Austin Matthews. I mean, raise your hand if you thought that there's no other play for him when he gets the puck other than to try to take a quick snapshot past Connor Hellebuck and he goes in tight backhand roof daddy. It's a, it's a hell of a move, and, and the Leafs scored two special goals in that game. And that's really what it took to beat Connor Hellebuck last night and the Jets as a whole. So tough one, but hey, if you're going to lose, I guess lose on a beauty like that and you move forward to what, what sets up to be just a hell of a game Saturday night.
I don't know about you guys, but I'm super jacked for it. And we'll break that one down for you on Tuesday when we come back for our next episode. But I'll tell you what, what's better than Saturday night hockey, maybe a couple of cold ones, and how about a little bit of pizza to go along with it? So without further ado, let's bring on our latest guest here for the place portion of the podcast. He's the founder and co-owner of Red Ember Food Truck, Red Ember Commons at the Forks, Wall Street Slice, Wiener Pig as well, and a new venture that we're going to get to in just a second here. But Stefan Zinn joins me now. Stefan, thanks so much for stopping by. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing real well, thanks. How are you, Brendan? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Now, we have to start this off with some breaking news that I just found out at least. Um, But we're speaking to you from what's soon to be the newest location and the newest venture that you guys are uh, propping up here. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, you're getting the scoop a few days early. We were going to announce on Pi Day that we were opening a new shop. Um, but uh, yeah, so up here in West St. Paul, uh, we bought a little uh, pizza shop that was for sale and um, we decided to gut it and do a little renovation and uh, yeah, to build a sister restaurant to Wall Street Slice. And it's called, is it okay if we say what the name is going to be? Main Street Slice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be called Main, Main Street Slice. Uh, we have to, you know, just to keep... Uh, Keep the location straight. We've got to name it after what streets it's sitting on. And it's funny <laughs> you mentioned Pi Day. I wish I could say that I had you on uh, to get ready for that, but I'm not smart enough to think of that. But it's kind of funny how that all works here. Do you have anything special planned at uh, any of your spots for the upcoming Pi Day, March 14th? Um, well, this year, I think the only special thing was the announcement of Main Street Slice, which it's a little fitting because we announced Wall Street Slice on Pi Day two years ago. Oh, so we'll go back and we'll get to Wall Street and Main Street in just a bit here. But just give us the origin story. How did you get into the pizza biz? And ultimately, how did Red Ember get started? Uh, well, I was a, a chef, professional chef in the golf course industry for 12 years. And I always knew I was uh, wanting to work for myself. So I thought a food truck would be the least expensive way to get into the business. Uh, to build a following. So in 2012, I built the food truck myself on the family farm um, over winter, and uh, we launched it in 2013. And then, uh, yeah, we went for, how many, was it five years, four years, um, before we opened our location at the Forks. And uh, the way we opened that was a a young man, uh, Quinn, who started working uh, for me on the food truck. Um, He became my business partner and him and I uh, own uh, the Forks location, Red Ember Common. And um, after a couple of years there, we uh, had another couple um, employees that were uh, super people, Michael and Delma. And together with Quinn, uh, Michael and Delma, myself, we opened Wall Street Slice. And uh, from then on, uh, main, uh, Wienerpeg started uh, with Quinn and myself. And now uh, with Main Street Slice, the latest one. Uh, again, a partnership between Quinn, Adelma, Michael, and then two new uh, employees or two new partners that are employees, Phoenix and Jesse. And Jesse's going to be the boss up here at Main Street Slice. So I didn't know you built the food truck yourself, which is utter insanity. 
it is, and if anybody hasn't seen it, you have to, or you're blind, one of the two, because it has to be the biggest, if or if not one of the biggest food trucks in, in all of Canada, right? Yeah, it's the last time I checked, it was the largest one in Canada still. So how long did it take you to make? Uh, that was six months. Um, wow. Six-month build. Uh, it, uh, you know, bought a shipping container, a 40-footer, and I cut it in half and stuck it back together to make a 24-foot box because I couldn't fit everything in a 20-foot shipping <laughs> container. And, uh, yeah, it just worked outside over winter. Uh, it was a cold winter, so... There was sometimes you'd make a weld and then you'd stick your hand, your glove onto it, put the one with hands up. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of crazy too because so you build the food truck yourself and it's gigantic. And you mentioned moving over to the commons at the forks. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you also traveled to Italy to like personally get the oven that you use in the commons. Is, is, am I getting that story correct? Um, like, we didn't get quite as far as Italy. We okay. we did go to uh, Toronto. Uh, no, it was New York uh, to test the oven out, uh, New York State, and because um, there was the dealer for North America was there, and uh, so we got to use it. But I did see that oven before at a Pizza Expo in Las Vegas. It's a, a big gathering of all the pizza people in North America and uh, throughout the world, really, and. Uh, so that's how we kind of got onto that uh, oven. Uh, the, just due to the um, building restrictions at the Forks, we had to go with an electric oven uh, for the Forks location, just venting issues. But uh, it uh, gets just as hot as, a, as the food truck's oven. We actually run that one a little hotter than the food truck. And uh, the pizza is very, very close. I think the dry air in a wood-fired oven still does something special to a crust. They quite can't replicate with an electric oven, but it's it's pretty darn close. Now, I got to take a slight detour here, but could you please explain the absolute awesomeness that is the Pizza Expo in Las Vegas? How cool was that? It's huge. It's crazy. It takes two days just to walk the, uh, the, the convention floor, uh, looking at all the product and there's everything there. Uh, you know, being a Canadian, the ingredients that are being presented doesn't apply to us uh, as much because we can't get the product up in Canada. Um, but equipment, seeing what the latest and greatest is out of Italy and uh, Sweden, you know, funny enough that the pizza masters that we use at Wall Street and Main Street are Swedish ovens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, ours just uh, took a plane trip over last week from Sweden. Um, but it, it's, they have presentations, you know, flour distributors, you know, they have Famous guys work in the booths, and it's just a really amazing thing. Yeah, it's and you get to there's tons of uh, like uh, little school like school sessions or sessions you can go in and trade information with people, and um, it's five days of just busyness, and you're real tired after <laughs> after it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> what what's one of the craziest things that for you you saw there and you had no idea that it existed? One thing I found, uh, it was a conveyor style oven, but it had uh, stone plates instead of a wire mesh. Uh, so it looked like a caterpillar track uh, oh. going through the oven. And I thought that was pretty cool to, to get that uh, bottom heat, uh, which is usually not uh, not there in a conveyor style oven. Um, There's another gentleman, uh, Noel, he was at the um, uh, King Arthur flower booth and he actually made a 180% hydration uh, 
uh, pizza dough. So that, that means there's a hundred, uh, sorry, did I say hundred, 130% hydration pizza dough. So that means there's, you know, 1.3 times the amount of water compared to flour in the dough. And uh, the way he put that together was really, really interesting to watch. If you have an extra ticket next time, just let me know and I'll uh, keep you company down there in Vegas <laughs> at the Expo, okay? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move away from that. I got a little distracted there. I want to get back to the pizzas that you make. And I think it's super cool what you do and maybe touch on how important it is to you. But the majority, if not every ingredient you use, whether it's the dough, the sauce, the toppings is pretty much all Manitoba based. Yes. Yeah. With the food truck, that was our the, the focus um, to pre- pre- you know, present uh, what we what is locally available. So for the first few years, we didn't even have olives on any of our specials because you can't get them here. But uh, after a few years, I relaxed that and started, you know, using lemons and olives and that sort of thing in our in our pizzas. But the tomato sauce in the food truck and at the Red Amur Common, we buy the tomatoes at the St. Norbert Farmer's Market where we set the food truck up. And we can tomatoes or make tomato sauce and pail it all up and freeze it for the, uh, for the winter to be used the next season. So we're doing like 12,000 pounds of tomatoes in over the course of a couple weeks. So I'm really tired of tomatoes <laughs> in the fall. <laughs> Can't scrub it out of your skin anymore. So uh, yeah, that and um, my uh, youngest brother and my mother, they uh, co-own a, a farm uh, called Zinn Farms and they produce uh, like a ethically raised uh, using um, biodynamic processes uh, you know, free-ranged uh, heritage breed pork. They do a blend of black boar and Berkshire. So they use practices like, you know, rotating the pigs through pastures every th- two or three days. Uh, so they always have fresh grass and they get to live outside. So they have a, uh, they have a really good life. There's really nice marbling in that meat uh, with that old heritage style um, genes. Uh, they don't grow as fast, but uh, they are like three times the price of regular, uh, you know, store-bought pig. Um, but we use that to make our, you know, the sausage uh, at Wall Street. We actually dry cure our own pepperoni. Uh, so we ferment it and then uh, let it hang for, you know, three to four weeks until the right uh, weight is achieved. Um, we do everything from scratch because no one can ever copy us. Their pizza will never taste like ours because we have the recipes and we're not using a canned sauce or, or a, a, you know, bacon out of a box from, from Cisco. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be able to, you know, buy the carrots and, you know, like uh, the cucumbers for the pickles at Wienerpeg from the local farmers because at least the money gets to stay in Manitoba. Uh, instead of going to a big uh, multinational corporation, uh, just to to make sure the local economy is is there when we need it. Now, to me, the great barometer of any pizza has got to be the crust and the dough. And when you can eat the crust without anything else on it, and you're scarfing that down, to me, that's a sign that the pizzaiola knows what he's doing. And yours yeah. is no different. Can you explain the process that goes into making your dough and I guess a part of it, too, is like the, the dough, but also, like you mentioned, the oven that it goes into is a big part of it as well. Absolutely. Like the, it's a, something we've learned over time. And, uh, you know, going from the food truck with a wood fired oven 
we were like, okay, we're going to do the same recipe at the common because it's a hot pizza oven. It's a hot pizza oven. But we had to alter the recipe to make the dough taste right just because that heat isn't as dry and the intensity of the electric oven is more. Um, it's just very interesting how you have to change uh, change the recipe to fit the parameters of the oven. And then also, uh, in the case of the red embers, we use uh, organic local organic flour. And since there's such a limited amount of this uh, flour that from each mill, mill batch, you have to adjust the recipe just slightly because the protein content's a little bit different, ash content's a little bit different. So after, you know, we have to check the, the mill date on the side of the bag and, you know, maybe you make one and like, why is the dough not turning out normal? And you look, ah, oh, mill date's different. So then we have to adjust, you know, a little more water, a little less water. Um, and so, that uh, that's an important part um and i think what most people the ingredient that most people don't or forget to add or even don't think of adding to their dough is time time gives dough such an incredible amount of flavor to let those enzymes break down the, the um, proteins to make uh, you know where the starches and the mixed enzyme you know the amino acids in there the umami of the dough is created over time. So our, our goal is always uh, like a five days of age on the dough before we use it. Um, the, it's just the texture of everything. The, 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 the enzymes are already digesting the dough for you. So we have a lot of people that are gluten intolerant that have come to say like, I, might, I never have a problem with your, your pizza. It never sits heavy. It's because it has time sitting in the fridge it's like semi sourdough that it's already breaking down that gluten in in there and you can really see how the dough ball starts slackening and flattening out in the dough trays um it's a tremendous uh, part of it and now we're we're uh, quinn at uh, red ember he's been playing well around with uh, sourdough at home uh for a long time now and we've actually switched over to a, a naturally leavened pizza dough at the at the red ember locations that's super fascinating i never would have guessed that much goes into what i had thought was something as simple as pizza dough so how long did it take you to kind of perfect these uh different recipes for for just the dough let alone the rest of your pizzas i mean it's it was it's always a work in progress right we've been open at the forks for three years and just now we're we're going into a natural 11 dough instead of a commercial yeast so it's always always a progression uh, a work in progress and i think it's a little bit too that you know we get bored with the same old thing and like okay what can we do to make it a little different or you know just keep the interest alive for ourselves to, to keep improving on 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 a product um and you know hopefully that you know that it doesn't stray too far from our normal uh, that the customers get turned off by it <laughs> with red ember and red ember common what would you say are the best-selling pizzas uh, at those two locations? Because your menus are, are different, but there's also a lot of similarities as well. That's right. Yeah, the number one, like the king, I guess we should call it the queen uh, pizza is the margarita. That uh, is still the most uh, ordered pizza, especially at the Forks. Uh, and then the close second is the our, uh, our the, the classic, which is the Berkshire pepperoni and uh, roasted mushroom pizza, the the classic uh, pep and mush. Uh, those two are the top ones, but you know, it's very, um, 
you know, we have uh, eight pizzas on the menu there and we're, you know, kind of think, oh, should we pare it down? And then we look at our sales numbers and it's just so, so equal through, throughout. It's just, you can't really pick one to get cut. And, you know, the one that is the lowest on the totem pole, the, the twist and sprout. I mean, it's just a Brussels sprout and pancetta pizza. It's just so unique. You can't get rid of it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious, right? But, and and if we did take it off, there's going to be a bunch of regulars that would just make an uproar because there are people that come for that every week. You've got a bunch of first liners and, and not enough fourth liners, and you're trying to fit under the salary cap is kind of what it sounds like, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's a, a lot of chefs' problems with their menus. They always just get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> have you thought, I, I know you have the whiteout at Wall Street. Have you thought of naming any of your pizzas or creating one to uh, honor or in homage to any of the members of the Winnipeg Jets? You know what? But no, that's definitely something to, uh, to to look into. There are there are a few um, Jets uh, players that do frequent Wall Street Slice, and you know, Delma and Mike tell me about it. And Delma's always like, oh, "I'm so nervous. I don't want to talk to them." I'm like, "Come on!" <laughs> like, appreciate it. <laughs> well, we got to let our listeners know then who are some of the Jets that do stop by for a slice or two, and what's what's the most popular order down there at the rink. I mean, again, the most popular slice, it's very even amongst them all. Again, it'd be hard to know which one to cut out. And uh, as for Jets, you know, I believe, like a demo saying Wheeler, I think he comes the most. I'm not sure who else is coming, but I'm sure there's a few guys that come by. Hey, if the captain's coming, the rest of them are going to follow. So that's all that kind of matters. Yeah. Uh, I do want to get to Wall Street Slice and soon to be Main Street Slice because it's a different concept than the other two we've talked about so far. Did you get the inspiration for that, for the old classic New York City style slice where you grab it off the street corner and you can just head off to wherever you need to go? Yeah, exactly. You know, Quinn and I were working at the Red Emmer Common in those early days. And is there like a good New York style slice shop in the city? There there, there wasn't anything um, at that time. So, you know, we were just working away. And then one day Quinn comes to work and he's like, hey, look what I found. There was an empty slot on Wall Street. And like maybe that's the New York style shop, and and then I thought, yeah, we can call it Wall Street Slice, and then that's how it was born. <laughs> Five minute talk <laughs> on the hotline. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, it's funny because it's not a innovative concept, but it's something that I think is so brilliant and so genius, and isn't done anywhere else here. And it's something that I always love. Where like, hey, look, I'll eat a a whole pizza to myself any day of the week, no questions asked. But it is nice to have just a single slice so I can fit into my jeans once in a while. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to do the commitment for the whole eight slices. You can have one. Or you can have a selection of, you know, of different flavors so you're not, not uh, stuck with a single flavor of pizza for a couple of days, right? Yeah, exactly. And at Wall Street, you have some of the traditional flavors that you have at your other locations. But could you also touch on some of the more out-of-the-box pies that you've come up with? At uh, yeah, at uh, Wall Street, um, what do we got? We have the the T Bird. Uh, it's a turkey sausage uh, pizza on a, on a kale pesto base, and then we have a finish it with the uh, cream feta, and then it has the pepperoncinis on there. So you have a real, you know, like the pickle, hot, spicy, creamy, rich flavor combination. Um, the Tobatiki, uh, our version of the ham and pineapple, but we're doing a pulled pork on there. And uh, you know, roasted uh, fresh pineapples with chilies. Uh, 
Oh, what else? Come on. Think, think. Uh, the old G, you know, the original cheese slice, but instead of just the straight up mozzarella and Parmesan, you know, we hit it with some pecorino on there, like some deep flavor cheeses and, and the little finish of uh, oregano on there. And um, yeah, the, the, you know, the classic uh, pepperoni prints with the pepperoni on there. One of my faves that you do is the, the hot and honey. I believe it's the garlic honey, right? It's one of my favorite combinations and i wish more places did it but i'm glad you do you have the pepperoni and then you have the honey to drizzle on over the top right that's right yeah yeah and uh yeah we pickle the jalapenos ourselves um again something we can control the recipe with and uh that hot and honey is also at the fork so you can try you can compare what uh what style <laughs> of crust you like better the neapolitan <laughs> or the new york style all right, Stefan. Well, we're almost done here, but thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it. One of the questions we always close off with here, and I'd love to get your take on this because we got a game day coming up soon, so I'm going to have to uh, get my order ready. But what would be the Red Ember or the Wall Street, whatever it is, what would be your perfect game day pizza? Well, I guess since it's... Since it's Winnipeg, you got to go with the whiteout. Um, it's an it's a olive oil-based pizza with a little bit of garlic and mozzarella, pecorino, uh, some provolone picante. And par- uh, did I say Parmesan already? Uh, ricotta on there as well. It's a, it's a real tasty pie. So many cheeses, you got to think twice about it. That's how you know it's a good pie. <laughs> Stefan, before we go, food truck season is coming up close uh, pretty soon now. Can you maybe just let us know when uh, the food truck is scheduled to uh, get back up underway? With COVID, uh, it mixed a lot of things up. So I think we're going to start a little later, uh, end of May. Uh, And uh, we'll be at the St. Norbert Farmer's Market. And uh, we have a whole bunch of weddings booked again for the summer. And I'll just give you the floor right now. Let our listeners know where the best place is to hit you guys up and how they can order a delicious pie at any of your spots. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, if you are looking for a neo 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 neapolitan pizza, uh, the Red Ember Food Trucks at the Saint Norbert Farmers Market during the summer on Wednesdays and Saturdays, uh, the Red Ember Common at the Forks, and uh, for New York style pizza, it will be uh, Wall Street Slice, seven fifty three Wall Street, and soon to be opening March thirtieth at. Uh, uh, 3513 Main Street will be Main Street Slice. Are you doing a uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony? Did you buy yourself a pair of those oversized scissors? (laughs) No, no. I think we need to figure something out with a pizza cutter, though. That's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Well, I'll make sure to come down March 30th when Main Street Slice opens. But until then, grab a pie at any of the spots you mentioned. Thanks so much for joining me today, Stefan, and have a good one, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Brandon. Have a good day. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Skates and Plates. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We're back at it Tuesday, breaking down maybe the marquee matchup of the season so far, the Saturday night showdown in Toronto. Plus, we got a game against the Habs as well on Monday. Everything Jets, we got it for you coming up on Tuesday. But until then, thanks again for listening to Skates and Plates of the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Rewicki. Peace.